Now it's my great pleasure to welcome to the 94.1 FM 3WBC microphone one of the nicest Rotarians, the hard-working, detailed and astute District Director of Governance in Rotary District 9800, Solicitor David Whiting. The district has 67 clubs, all of which are incorporated with district membership of just under 2,500. They are all volunteers. Notwithstanding the fact that Rotarians are volunteers, the Rotary District is run very, very professionally. Akin to small businesses and larger corporations, Rotary clubs must operate ethically and be compliant financially, uh, as well as the interaction between members themselves and by members with the community at large. They must conform to the high standards and legal requirements. Stringent policies exist to protect children, youth and vulnerable adults who are supported by and participate in Rotary programs. David Whiting oversees all of this as District Director of Governance. So David, a very warm welcome to the 94.1 FM 3WBC microphone. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to have you here and what I could also mention is that we're very lucky to have David today because he has got tremendous experience in radio and for the last 34 years David has been at various Melbourne radio stations commenting on the law. His latest uh, appearances are on the John Fain morning program on 774 so we're very lucky to have David talk to us this evening. David, as is the usual format, we're going to be having two interview segments with you this evening. Uh, the first will be to get to know you, David, the man, and gain some insights into your Rotary Club. And then in a second chat, we will be asking you to tell us about your District 9800 activities in relation to governance and ethical practices. Of course, this has relevance not only to Rotary, but certainly and very currently to the community at large. So David, let's kick off. Where were you born? At Coburg, I was born at the uh, what, what is now a HealthScope Hospital, but back then it was the Sacred Heart Hospital in Moreland Road, Moreland. I'm not going to ask you how many years ago that was. Thank you. But to say that you're very, very experienced, and I know that you're younger than I am, which is marvellous. David, was yours a large family? I have um, two brothers and a sister. So there were four children, mum and dad. And David, have they gone into law, or have they followed you into law, or have they gone into other pursuits in life? I, I have a brother who's older than I am, and he's a commercial builder. Then there's me, my sister is a lawyer, and my brother is planning to be a lawyer. How interesting. Why is law such an integral part of your family? I have absolutely no idea that the generation above us were all accountants. My my father was an accountant, as were two of his brothers and a sister. Well, that's fine, but I think law is a far more interesting profession, so there seems to be family connections. Uh, and is your office getting ready to take some of the family in here? Um, I would like to think that... Oh, sorry, my daughter is also studying. She's now a lawyer. So I would have thought that... Um, my, my sister, no, never joined me, not in a million years. Uh, <laughs> but I would... Uh, as for my brother and my daughter, well, sort of, who knows? It's, I think that it's really important that you get as broad an experience as possible. Yes, it is uh, tremendously. So where did you go to school? Uh, I went to uh, St. Teresa's Catholic Primary School in Essendon, followed by um, 
I went to Xavier College to school in Oh, did you? Yes, know it well. That's where my father went to school. Oh, fantastic, yes. Uh, know it well, there used to be some very good football matches between Xavier and my school, but I won't go into that because Xavier usually won. I thought that's why you... Yeah, I want to avoid that. We want to avoid talking about that, David. So what did you do after school? Did you did you go straight into university to study law or did you have a little gap? Um, when I went through, nobody had gap years. And yet what I did was uh, I went straight from, straight from school to university and I studied commerce and law at the University of Melbourne. A wonderful university, a wonderful university. And David, after that, how long after that did you join Rotary? Uh, I joined Rotary in, I finished university in 1979 and I joined Rotary in 1983. But my Rotary connections go back a, a very long way. My father and grandfather were members of the Rotary Club of Essendon. And in 1972, which makes picking my age much easier, I went to the Philippines as an exchange student. So I was a Rotary exchange student to the Republic of Philippines to a city called Dabao, which is a large city in the, on the southern island of Mindanao. And I was there for, or from February 72 to January 73. Wonderful hands-on experience, and no doubt that motivated you to come back and join Rotary. Gee was it's nice of you to put words in my mouth, but the answer would be no. Um, I enjoyed my time at Rotary. My, my, what caused me to join Rotary was that um, um, the thing I most remember about Rotary growing up is that at the Rotary Club of Essendon they used to have sons and daughters days in the school holidays in September. And we would get dressed up and be taken to Rotary by Dad. So, and they were, they were they chose their guest speakers having regard to the younger audience on the day and they were impressive. I was also um, thought that what, what Dad did in Rotary was great so that was the catalyst for the joining. You know, the, if you like the exchange student program was the icing on the cake but not the catalyst. And you joined the Rotary Club of Keelor. Yes. Uh, so how long have you been a member there then? Uh, Roughly. I joined in September 83. Right, right. So that's 34 years. That's 34 years. And what were your first impressions of the Rotary Club of Keelor? Um, I was invited to join by uh, two people who I had known for a very long period of time. I'd been along to a few meetings. Um, at that stage, the Rotary Club of Keelor had about 80 members and met at Essendon Airport. Um, Look, it's like going to any organisation for the first time. Um, the way I describe going to your first Rotary meeting, Ian, is going to your girlfriend's house and she's not there. So you're going to a family dinner, everybody's trying to be incredibly nice to you and you think, gee, I wish you wouldn't, I just don't feel comfortable. Where's my security blanket? Well, you were pretty young at the time, weren't you, uh, you know, to join Rotary. Was that, a, was that a, a strange age, if I may put it that way, to join Rotary? Because Rotary sometimes is I joined the, in and out. I was um, the youngest member for quite a long period of time. You should have been welcomed with open arms. Today, they would absolutely embrace you being a younger member. Yes, but then it's my point about visiting your girlfriend's house for the first time. that You just don't want, you're not quite sure how, how, how enthusiastic you want the welcome to be. But well, I'm still there, and I still enjoy the company. Yeah, that, that's that's marvellous. And wh when do they meet? They meet. Well, we used to meet on a Monday lunchtime, and back then they were really uh, 
keener on attendance than everybody is today. And if the Monday was a public holiday, they met on the Tuesday. Yes. So they never missed a meeting. Well, there were some pretty stringent rules in those days. I think uh, 65% attendance was a requirement. Which is now in each half year, Ian. In each right, half, in each half year. year. So what happened uh, then was that we uh, we moved our meetings to... As, as the nature of the membership changed, and as people started spending more and more time in their business than on their business, we moved to Tuesday night meetings. And we still meet Tuesday nights. Which is a lot more sensible for the working Rotarian, isn't it, really? It's difficult to get away for a lunchtime. Were you working in the city at that stage and then having to go out to Essendon? I moved to the city in 1985. Right, OK. So, so the answer is yes, I was in the city. Um, it, it's sort of... It, it's Where's Rotary fit? It's this interesting question. Is it part of your business life or part of your social life? And it, it's clearly part of both. Um, but I think that one of the difficulties is is that, um, I mean, when I, we met Monday lunchtimes, it was very simple. I walked out of the office at 12 o'clock, I got back to the office at 2.30, and that was a really neat exercise. Right. The meeting always finished by 2 o'clock. Now we meet at 6.30, and the meeting finishes about quarter to 8. So, so there's it's, still it's rigid timelines. Well, not particularly rigid, and my real issue is, um, you know, time with family is, is scarce and precious. So, um, yeah. It's a good perspective, David, and certainly I was, when I joined Rotary, I was taught that it was family, work, and Rotary in that order. And uh, uh, sometimes the lines get a little bit uh, blurred, but still, that's not a bad perspective to have, and to try and stick to that is a good thing. I think it's the right perspective. I just think there are a whole lot of people who don't think that uh, <laughs> the first two count at all. Well, Rotary is, is, is a great magnet, and it's very enticing. And uh, it's a good enticement, so I don't think, think that's bad in every case, unless you become sort of totally engrossed to the exclusion of everything else. It's a great movement, as we know. And David, when you joined, did you get asked to uh, become a member of a committee early on in your Rotary involvement? So where did you where did you end up? I uh, have absolutely no idea. You can't remember. I turned where you up to the meetings I was told to turn up to. I contributed to what I was asked to contribute to, but you know, these—I was there with a group of people who were uh, particularly, I thought, astute and knew what they were doing, and I was the young kid at the block. I mean, there was a 20-year margin between me and most of them. But they would have been fellow professionals in those days. A lot of them. Were there any other lawyers there, or were you in as a lawyer in a specific category? Do you recall? What I professions were there in the club in those there was, early days? There was one other lawyer in the club, but back then you would have basically called the Rotary Club of Keele or the Rotary Club of Airport West. Uh, there was a large industrial estate to the west of the Essendon Airport. Most of the members at that stage were either had businesses in that industrial area or were uh, people who had businesses along Keeler Road in Nidri. So while we were Keeler, think of the city of Keeler we'd stopped at Essendon Airport rather than the village of Keeler. Right. And wh what part of Essendon Airport did you, you, you meet in? Was Essendon Airport in that, I can't recall, was it still functioning as an airport in those days? When you say was, here in 2017 it still is. Yes, but I mean in well, those... Was it the commercial airport? It was no, at the no, commercial Tullamarine, airport, yes. Tullamarine started in the 1970s. Right. Uh, the, we met in what was the upstairs section of the 
departure lounge had yeah, and, so, and you would watch all the light planes how, how marvellous and yep. catering was uh, was uh, done on site for you when you got there you had a meal yes but we remember we had 80 members and, yes. and 80 members at lunchtime was fantastic for most businesses of course yeah. we moved around a little in terms of where we met but and we haven't met you know, clearly we haven't met on the airport for a very long period of time just uh, a marvellous but there's start. a new hotel there now so anything's possible well, yes, and I found out a little while ago, um, I think it was Starwood uh, whiskey was being made at the airport in the engineering sheds. I was very, very surprised about that. The customs and excise now, about <laughs> well, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do, David. And how many members does the club now have? It's about 35. About 35. So it's, it's gone back a little. And have you got a recruitment program that operates pretty effectively? The... I, I think we're going through the issues that every Rotary Club has and um, and the, the, the trick is not the quality of the work that you do but creating a desire for people to join you in doing it. So I've never really been able to work out... I mean, the issue is um, I would like you to join the Rotary Club because I want more of time that you don't currently have enough of. That, to me, is the issue. I mean... It's a little bit like going to church and you, you give them money because they're doing some wonderful work somewhere in the world and while you admire them for what they do, you're not quite sure you actually want to do that work. So in a, you know, it's, a, it's the balancing issue that I find is most difficult for encouraging people to join. Um, you know, if, you're, if you've got a particular interest in a particular charity, then you may already be doing that. To me, it's the mixture of the friendships that you develop I mean, it, it's like every relationship. The reasons why you join are not the reasons why you stay. And I, the way I look at the members of my club, I would be happy to break bread with any of them at any time um, because they're not the kind of people that I deal with all day, every day. In, in a business environment, you're buying and selling. Or bu- or you're selling or being sold is the way I describe it. Whereas in a, you're sitting down in a Rotary Club discussing the problems of the world, there's no value judgments. No. It's great camaraderie. Yes. And that sort of friendship is uh, extensively developed. And uh, it's not just a Rotary friendship, it's a friendship. Yes. Uh, and I love that sort of... It's an evolution and it's good. And I think most Rotary Clubs have that sort of feel about them, which is good. Um, so there's a good mix of backgrounds and gender there at your club. We only have two genders that I'm yes, aware of. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, in these days and ages, who knows? <laughs> you don't. No, no. In terms of... Um, the non-binary pronoun uh, hasn't uh, been used. N- by n- no, no, well, that's very wise. Yes. And I should know better that with a lawyer to go mm-hmm. into that area. But uh, is there a good mix of backgrounds there still with your 35 members? Yeah, I think if I was to comment, the difficulty is is that a lot of them, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still in the... Uh, below average age and that's the problem um, what you, you, the difficulty becomes is that you, you tend to mix with people who are perhaps I think the expression is seven years either side of yours, your age and once the gap becomes greater the incentive for new people to join you know, do I want to join a club with a whole lot of 80 year olds, well if I'm 65 I might but if I'm 45 I don't you know I don't have the same set of interests. Certainly some clubs, and, and the club that I belong to, Glen Ferry, has now 
uh, an operation in play to give us some balance with younger people joining and we have a, a better mix than we've ever had and I know that's an aim of most Rotary Clubs but for a lot of our listeners out there I'm sure they'd find the Rotary experience and to find a club that really melds with their personality and their age group a lot easier um, than some may think and I, and I think that's got to be encouraged in clubs in terms of recruiting youth um, because a lot of young people do want to put back in today, don't they, into society, not take out. Yes, and but then there are the issues with the uh, the amount of time that it, it might well take. Yes. Uh, you know, I know last year's district governor always told us that I'll take whatever you can give me, and as you can give me more, that's great, and there are times when you can't, and I think that's right too. It's a very, very wise and prudent, because we are keen to increase our membership, and we don't want to be too prescriptive about that increase, do we? We want to get members in who enjoy the experience and can contribute as much as they can when they can, and that's the key. I think that's right. David, uh, what would you say is the most impressive thing about the Rotary Club of Keelor? Um, I, I don't know that we try to impress. Well, in so terms I of well, uh, let me let me put it this way: in terms of your programs, can you mention some local community programs and some international programs, just to give our listeners a bit of a feel for what your club does across we've, the world? We've done quite a bit internationally. Um, we're a strong supporter of donations in kind. You might just explain that a little more fully. Well, I describe donations in kind as a treasure trove in the in the western suburbs. It's a. Um, uh, it, it was the genesis of the Rotary Club of West Footscray, and they occupy an old woolshed, and they um, they create magic. Um, I went to a presentation at the Rotary Club of Hawthorne last week, and they talked about some beds that they'd been given, which ended up in um, Cambodia. I know. I mean, the, the one story is is that the um, uh, the hospitals change over their beds regularly, and there is no market for second-hand beds. What do we do with these beds? Do we send them to landfill? Do we turn them into scrap metal? Uh, no. Um, I, you know, I'm aware that from one hospital they took a whole series of beds to Chile, and the problem is that the hospitals in Chile didn't have um, uh, electric power to run the beds because our all are as electric and go up and down and sideways and all the rest of it. So what did they do? They took along a generator, they took the bed to the right height with the, with the generator, then disconnected the generator and locked <laughs> it inside. Uh, they do things for Aboriginal communities. Yes, um, they do. Lo- it's not they, all they international. Do, no, no, they don't. But then there's other, uh, uh, other things that they do. Um, you know, we were involved in a program that provided school uniforms to a school in uh, um, Zambia. So there's all those sorts of things we've done. We help uh, you know, a, a local projects. We've um, just finished building a uh, a community type room at an aged care facility in East Kiela. So there's you know, we do lots of things that where we enjoy other people's company. It's a wonderful facility. I'm aware that there are bikes out there and there's cloth out there and there's paper out there, writing paper. And I think there's even a two person morgue out there, David, that they were donated. Uh, uh, so there's a lot of well, very I, interesting. I items. go there quite often. I wasn't aware that that was a feature. Um, but but look, I looked at uh, one of the projects that I thought 
or wood should properly have got up the, off the ground but all of these things take time um, people, things like uh, walking aids for elderly uh, $150 a time they have no value they get thrown out um, corporate uniforms for instance get donated to them and suits don't they well the one story about the suits was that one afternoon they got a phone call that said we're clearing out one of our warehouses you can get as many suits as you want and they got thousands of suits none of them in my size I'm able to uh, it's not that I didn't try Ian but there were none in my size I know where they were sent they were sent to one of our near neighbours yep and one of our one of our members that works at the Donations in Kind warehouse was up there and saw a funeral in a near Asian country and in the funeral procession was a large, very large contingent of men all wearing the same colour suit Excellent. following the coffin. So yes. we know those are getting into good places. Mm. Um, David, uh, your local programs, uh, you're, you're working at DIK, but what about some, is there any other local programs? That well, we talked about the, uh, uh, the recent one, which was the um, uh, project for uh, the Holloway Hostel, where they needed a, a, like a community room, so an extra facility meeting space that would enable people in the aged care facility to meet more with people in the almost like a men's shed. Um, the peaceful resistance for Keeler over the last 10 years has been uh, the town of Witchyproof. Um, one of our members uh, effectively adopted Witchyproof because uh, it was an area that was losing population, losing all sorts of opportunities that it should otherwise have had and we started providing them with resources. We managed to get a whole... We got tools for their men's shed. We got material for men's shed to work with. We, uh, and, you know, and it was it won in one of the tidy towns, uh, which is not what you would have expected from a from a country, from a town in the bush. So it's been it's been great. And last year, we decided. Uh, when I say we decided, the same member decided that uh, witchy proof kids weren't getting holidays. You know, it's not enough money to put the crop in. You can't take your kids away. So uh, we ended up with some other Rotary Clubs, including uh, the Rotary Club of Healesville. We were involved in getting them a week weekend away to um, to the Healesville Sanctuary. Well, it was during week time, but we took everyone from uh, prep to year 12. It was a marvellous opportunity, giving the town and the children of that town are real Philip so uh, that's yes, someone cares yes, yes somebody cares and the city cares about the bush yes which has been done on many occasions in terms of drought and uh, and flood areas where city clubs have helped and that's one of the good things about Rotary so it's lots uh, of clubs that we asked up and down the call the highway no, it's uh, wonderful we're not city centric no no and, and heels fall were fantastic mm, wonderful stuff well David thanks for letting us get to know you and uh, the Rotary Club of Keelor a little better uh, listeners we're going to be back to talk to David about his latest role and this is very important as the District Director of Governance and his very dedicated effort to keep the Rotary District this Rotary District 9800 professional ethical and compliant David, can you explain to us what your role expressly involves, please? Uh, I have no idea. I have absolutely. I can tell you what I do, um, but didn't come with a job spec. Um, I uh, districts 
like clubs can basically manage their affairs pretty much as they like. There's a standard club constitution but there's no standard district constitution. District 9800 has a governance role on the board. Other districts in Victoria don't. They manage their affairs in a different way. Um, my role is, you know, the really, really basic one is I help them uh, formulate the resolutions that are to be proposed at board meetings. Um, hopefully with some elegance and some clarity, but, and you do. but not always. You do. Um, then it's really a question of assisting the district and clubs to ensure that it's compliant with the laws that apply. Now, um, all of the clubs in the district, with the possible exception of one that I haven't looked at for a little while, are incorporated, which means that we have obligations under the um, Associations Incorporation Reform Act. Um, there are for some clubs issues in relation to taxation for GST and the like. Um, there are audit issues for some clubs that arise because of their volume of turnover. And then there is the child um, wellbeing legislation, safety and wellbeing legislation. Which we want to talk about a little bit more expansively a little later. And, and there's also working with children. Yes. And then there's the Fundraising Act. So it's really... You know, I mean, we're all trying to do these things uh, as simply and as painlessly as possible. But, but very have, professionally. We have reporting obligations yes. and we need to have the paperwork trails that support what we've done. And of course, these principles that you're talking about in regard to these areas or in relation to these areas uh, apply very rigorously in the wider Victorian community. This is not just a rotary-centric Operation. This is a, a set of rules and principles and compliance requirements that apply generally in the community. And now, of course, there's some more relevance, especially in working with children and, uh, and association with children. And Rotary is very, very, very serious about those areas. The um, it, it's a it's a fascinating. It's been a fascinating 18 months as we've looked at how changes have uh, have come to play and. Um, so if we start with working with children and then we work with child safe standards and then we look at the reportable conduct scheme that in fact I've come to the conclusion that that's the wrong way to explain it to anybody you start with child safe standards and they are a series of principles that apply to organisations who are involved with children now involved with children is, is a really it's, a, it's an interesting turn of phrase the way they work the legislation but if you provide goods or services for children or you use a child as a volunteer so if you take your children or grandchildren who are under the age of 18 and you get them to assist bingo, you're caught by the legislation and you're now required to manage all of your affairs having regard to these child safe standards so child safe standards um, one of the things that you... So you need to have a... So, for example, when you sit down and you say, I've now got a club project, the question is, how are you dealing with child safe standards in terms of that project? Um, when I'm looking at volunteers, whether they be, you know, a, a friend helping out on a barbecue or a member of doing something or a Halloween function or whatever, the question that you need to say is, is well, I have to screen everybody who's now involved. And screening, I think screening involves verifying who you are. So just I'm Ian Zalek isn't enough. 
You can have a driver's licence, a passport, some formal identification. I'd like to know where you live. I'd like to be satisfied that you've got no uh, working with children issues that I'll come back to. And I'm also then interested to know what your qualifications and experience are relevant to the task I want you to perform. So, you know, and, and from a whole lot of people, that creates an extraordinary pushback. Uh, because, you know, I'm a good guy. I, I, where's the problem? So we've got some advice from the National Insurance Committee that organises insurance for every club in, around Australia, and they say what you ought to do is reference checking ought to involve people who are outside Rotary. So it needs to go more than, oh no, we all endorse one another because we're, there's no, nobody as good as us, so therefore uh, what we say should be fine. And uh, it's just not true anymore. The answer would be part of the vetting process is what's your experience in working with children? Got some referees. And who are you? And do you have a working with children check? And the, the pushback is that working with children check is enough. Working with children check does nothing more than establish your name, doesn't appear on a register with a particular charge or accusation against you. It's not a, think of it as just whether your name's on a list or not. It's not a qualitative assessment. You're just there or you're not there. When you are uh, applying for and given a working with children certificate, what form of checking is done by the authority it's to a validate? Check, it's a check on a database. Right. right. So and there is some form of... Oh, no, no, it is... Well, no, sorry. Look, um, we've seen a whole series of issues involving uh, charities. There's the uh, Royal Commission looking into institutional responses to child abuse. And you will see that there are an extraordinarily large number of people, I mean, one is too many, but a lot of people, who you would have thought would have been appropriately vetted, but there was no... Uh, there was no formal they'd never been charged they'd never been convicted and therefore they could have easily got a working with children check so, so the vigour of the cross check no no there is there. no cross check you know it's like um, uh, I'm not asking if you can drive a car I'm asking if you've got a driver's licence yes right. and it's quite possible that you've got a driver's licence but you can't but drive you still a car. can't drive properly yes yes, yes. yes. I understand so that, it's, you know, think, look, think of it like that it's not a very deep and incisive way of no, validating No, it's not an people. assessment of you, right? It's, yes. it's not an assessment of your driving skill. Have you got a driver's licence, right? Now, uh, you know, I can show you some people who've got a driver's licence who haven't been behind the wheel of a car in 40 years. So don't ask me if they can drive a car. The answer may well be no, but they meet the formal requirements. So at the other end, there's a concept called a reportable conduct scheme. And uh, the child safe standards involve... An, the development of an assessment for reports of child abuse, but it's not it's not as onerous as the reportable conduct scheme, which is only just started. But it affects student exchange programs, and it affects uh, where there are overnight camps. So it, it will affect districts at the moment, but I don't see that it would currently expect currently affect ca um, clubs, but it might. Are we working towards a far more all-embracing certification for people involved with youth? Is it going to be a far wider uh, requirement? No, no, you've got to... The, the, the difficulty would be... Sorry, um, there's a working with children check where someone checks a complete a police database 
in relation to a series of offences. So if you've got a shoplifting charge, you can still get a working with children check. Right? If you've got an assault charge, you might not. So we, what we're doing is we're saying, well, if you want to bring people into your organisation to provide services for children or to assist in the provision for service of children, then the question is, tell me what screening you do. Tell me what's your complaint process. You know, what are the, do you have a code of conduct about how people are to behave or not behave? David, uh, in your mind, are there any further matters that you are aware of that future governments of any persuasion may consider in the areas that, that you've been discussing? What, what more can governments do in a legislative sense uh, to be more protective of youth in terms of what, they, what laws they make what more can be done? Oh, um, I'm very poor at that kind of stuff, Ian. You know, um, if you ask me what I think of what the law is at the moment, I'll tell you. If you ask me what I think the law ought to be, I flounder. I deal with the what is. I, I think... Well, I will it, ask you, it's, is it's the law the, inadequate currently? Well, the law's not perfect. Right. But then the state doesn't provide all these things. So if you want to, or, or some listener wants to volunteer, how hard do I want to make it? If I make it too hard, there is no volunteering. It's the, it's where do you find the, where's the point? So I was talking to a club the other day that runs an activity that gets hundreds of kids to it. And the question is, well, do I need to have several levels of vetting? But I'm, I'm an amateur organisation. No one in my organisation gets paid. So if that's the case, what kind of Resources am I to apply to, in fact, make this work? Because but if you make it too hard for me to volunteer, I won't volunteer. Don't you think there's been a quantum leap in the community's thinking? I mean, when we go through an airport now, there's an acceptance that there's going to be more security required. There's more inconvenience in travel. There's going to be more inconvenience, if you want to put it that way, in relation to what you need to provide to work with children, with youth. Isn't that sort of a community acceptance that we've, we've moved? We are becoming more use of word we, again. We are, we are a very compliant society by, by international standards. We pretty much do as we're told. I don't mean but nanny state stuff. I mean sensible stuff. Ah, no, that means you've been sold, Ian, right? Um, if you think about when you were growing up, uh, drinking and driving, they went together, all right? But we've been taught, trained, persuaded, whatever it is you want to use. You think about um, seatbelts. You, you, know, you look at those kinds of issues and we've now we, we've led the law on seatbelts. What we've done is we've changed behaviour. And what I've come, I've come a long way in the last 18 months. Um, I was extraordinarily outraged that one cannot be trusted but I've read some of the reports from the Royal Commission and you just think, wow, I would have trusted them and my trust would have been misplaced. So I think we are... Um, I think the real difficulty is persuading people that the steps I need to ask you to undertake to provide your services voluntarily are reasonable. Now... You know, we had some pushback when working with children came in. We no longer have pushback on that. Well, that's the Royal Commission and the publicity, the daily press 
uh, and uh, media and social media who are, who are highlighting all these issues in the community so that the uh, there is an acceptance of a far more tough set of standards, surely, that people have got to undertake. Yes, I accept that, but if you make the standards too tough, I mean, the only way to guarantee that there will be no issues is to do nothing. Yeah. yeah. All right? But what, what you're saying is that people think, I'm a good guy, I'm quite respectable, I don't, I'm a parent, I don't need to be vetted in this way, I'm not going to be exposing myself to this vetting uh, like which, a miscreant. Which That's which is absolutely it. true, except you're sending your child to a school camp or a rotary camp. Where there might or be that same level well, no, of... Hang on. Yeah. How do I know yeah, yeah. that all of those people are at my high standard? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, you would have thought that there would have been an acceptance by most people, certainly within Rotary uh, and and the community at large, I would have thought you you could that they would have been accepting of of greater requirements uh, in terms of what they must do. And if it's more bureaucratic, uh, I think the community might you could disagree that the community might find it acceptable, more acceptable. It's so so virulent now, and it's been exposed by the Royal Commission, and it's been exposed by investigations. Wouldn't you? Would you don't think that? I, I I'm not sure. I, I think there is now more exposure in relation to child abuse, but I've not seen any evidence well, that could easily be there that would indicate that it's got worse. It's now more open than it was. I'm not sure how much more prevalent it is than it was. The the level of pushback mm. might it not come from people being a bit challenged by the requirements that they've they've got to do in terms of the the physical requirement that they've got to fill out paperwork, they've got to submit online, they've got to do a lot more no, to I prove themselves. I think it's... Yes, but for every volunteer, you've actually got to go and say, is it worth the effort to do the volunteer? Yes, yes, I understand. That's yes. the question. So you've got to get people to the point where they appreciate that these things need to be done and it's in the benefit of those who they love and care about as much as for everybody else and at that point they can recognise its value. David, uh, are there any other areas with your experience that you genuinely believe should be the subject of investigation? I know there's been a very thorough set of circumstances investigated by the Royal Commission but are there any other areas uh, besides that that you think should be looked at in any other institutional sense or that sort of thing. I mean, maybe it's in old people's homes, which seems to be getting uh, getting a lot of publicity now in terms of the treatment within those homes. We are getting, and to use my favourite word, more prescriptive in how we view the running of dealing with other people, be it youth or older people, aren't we? Well, um, I have a client with a couple of aged care facilities, so I have some experience in the area. Uh, there's a whole series of standards that they need to meet and it's this mixture of the quality of the people that you are able to engage, the income that you earn as a personal care attendant in an aged care facility which is awfully low Um, and the what I will call is the difficult nature of a significant number of people in aged care and um, you know, I had one where the, we were the we were the aged care provider, and we had a dispute between two residents that resulted in an intervention order being made, 
uh, and they were not to go within a metre of each other. Now, if you and I had a disagreement and uh, we had intervention orders against each other, it would be 200 metres. But the answer was they sat on the next table to one another. Now, I'm the aged care provider. Well, I can't tell anybody to leave. I have no right under the Act to require you to leave the aged care facility. What do I do? So, I, I you know, I, it's, it's a... Um, it's it's uh, the idiosyncrasies of the people in in situations with failing health that their mannerisms might not be perfect. Um, uh, so there's a whole series of factors. I would have, I actually think that in the great scheme of things, it's fairly well managed. So we better managed in the state of Victoria, where most of our Rotary Club, in fact where all of our Rotary Clubs are in District 9800, are we better managed in this state uh, do you understand than uh, other Australian states? Are we talking about in the, terms of the, the in terms of management of it and the requirements of Rotary Clubs? Of yes. I think that in the um, we run a multi, multi-district pets program so what we try and do is ensure that each of the five districts with clubs in Australia, in Victoria. That's President-Select Training Sets, by the way. Yeah, multi-district President-Select Training Seminars. Mm -hmm. Um, The aim is that we train them all together so that they all have the opportunity to get the same level and quality of speaker and they learn from each other. And from you, because I know you've addressed them. Just a quiet Sunday morning. Yes, I know. Why would you? I mean, the answer. Why would you put me on last thing on a Sunday? That's everybody wants to go to sleep. No, I don't think so, David. I, you under undervalue your contribution to Rotary in the in the community, um, David. Uh, the area that you're involved in is especially important to Rotary because the there is an ethical requirement in being a Rotarian, and I know Rotarians are very conscious of this. And I know for Rotarians, and a lot of Rotarians listen to this program, you are going to have a session, are you not, on this? We don't want to advise it generally to the community, but your uh, briefing on this in this regard is when? I think it's the 20th of August. Sunday the 20th of August at Tabcorp Park. Yes, and the aim is to provide uh, assistance to Rotary Clubs to better understand child safe standards and how they impact upon their... uh, their activities. Importantly it's worthwhile encouraging our Rotarian listeners to go along to that session because you will be hearing from a guru in this area and it's oh, so very important. We've got a guest speaker coming haven't we? Yeah. No, no you are, you are the guru uh, David well look thank you so much for talking to us on the Rotary Radio Show it's been great to have you here Thank you. And uh, I uh, can say that it's been a real pleasure to hear about the good work you personally do and you know David I'm very positive that under your wise counsel Rotary Clubs in this district will continue to uphold the very high standards and compliance this organisation of ours that we're both very keen on must uh, maintain Rotary's annual theme listeners is in this Rotary year Rotary making a difference which teams very nicely with our overarching motto service above self and you David personify both of those statements so thank you so much Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast was produced and presented by Ian Salick of Rotary District 9800 in Victoria, Australia. Podcasts can be found on iTunes by searching for Rotary Radio, then scrolling to Doing Good in Victoria.